Well, good morning, church. I don't know if um, you've been out there before in that situation where you had to go buy a house and look for a new place to live. And obviously, at some point in time, all of you have done this, some of you more than others. But when you had to decide where you're going to live, how did you choose that location? I mean, that house, and probably I just gave the answer, was like, what, location? That's, that's usually it. Location, what does it look like? Who are my neighbors? What are they like? The, build, the, the house, does it feel like home? Is the structure safe and foundation strong? And, and you sort of weigh these things out as you decide your home, right? Let me ask this. How do you choose your church? How did you choose this church? I mean, seriously, we started in a movie theater, then in primary school, then in middle school. We ended up here. And a lot of people, when they go to choose churches, um, it's a struggle. I, it was easy for me growing up because I went where my mom and dad took me. That was easy. But then when I went to college, then I had to find my own church. That was challenging. And then after I graduated, I moved right here. So, well, that was easy. I'm going to be a pastor at a church, right? But how do you choose a church? Is it the building style? Is it the music? Is it the pastor or the, the programming that goes on at the church? Or is it the foundational truths that are taught? Do you choose a church because I want to be entertained or I want to be inspired or I want scriptural truth in my life? Sometimes it can be confusing. You go one place, another, it's like, I'm so confused. You guys use words I've never used before. You do things different in this. And I just, how did you choose that? I heard a story that reminded me of how sometimes things can be confusing, wording can be confusing. I thought it was humorous. I'm not even sure if it relates to the sermon, but I don't want to share it anyway, but... There's this, this old-fashioned lady, and she was going to go on vacation for a couple weeks down in Florida. And um, she was very delicate, very elegant in her speech and her mannerisms. And, and so she started to write a letter to a place that she was going to stay for a while. It was a campground. And uh, she was asking for reservations, but she also wanted to make sure the campground was fully equipped with everything she needed for while she was going to be staying there. And she wanted to know about the toilet facilities, but... Again, being as elegant as she was, she didn't want to put the word toilet in the letter. She couldn't come about to do it. So after a lot of thought, she thought, well, I'll just use an old-fashioned term, bathroom commode, and uh, we'll just go with that. So she wrote down bathroom commode in her letter. But then after more thought, she's like, I don't even feel right putting that in the letter. So she abbreviated, she put BC. So in her letter, she was basically asking, at your campgrounds, do you have a BC? Well, the campground owner received the letter, and he's looking at it, and he couldn't figure it out because he was not old-fashioned. He did not know what a B.C. was. He went around to the campground, different people said, do you know what a B.C. is? Do we have a B.C. here? Nobody knew. So he gave it some more thought and more thought, and he thought, you know what? I bet she's asking about the location of the local Baptist church. B.C., Baptist church. So he sat down and he wrote the following reply. This is what he wrote. Dear madam, I regret very much my delay in answering your letter. And I'll take pleasure in informing you that the BC is located nine miles north to the camp. And it is very capable of seating over 250 people at one time. I admit it's quite a distance away if you're in a habit of going regularly. But no doubt you'll be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches there and they just make a day of it. They usually drive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago, but it was so crowded we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It may be, you may be interested to know that right now there is a separate plan to raise more money for the few, next few years. 
They plan to hold supper in the middle of the BEC so everyone can watch and talk about the great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you for the first time and introduce you to the other folks. This is really a friendly community. Can you imagine her receiving that letter thinking, I'm changing my vacation location, right? There's so much miscommunication at times when you're choosing somewhere to go. And sometimes I've heard this even about our church. Well, your church believes this. And it's like, we're not, it's not even close to what we believe. Where did you hear that? Well, I heard it from so-and-so and so-and-so. Possibly interpreted it from something else. It's like, no, I'm sorry that you chose not to worship here because you thought miss incorrectly of who we are. And it can be confusing. And I was thinking back, you know, to then our church. And it's like, besides the confusion, this is really a comfortable place to be. I mean, when it's 90 degrees outside, it's cool inside. And when it's below zero outside, it's warm inside. We've got cushioned seats. We've got coffee. We've got water. We've got friendly people who greet. I mean, we really are blessed at this church. We've got a sound system and lights. And it's like, wow. We're, we're blessed. And, and, and then I started thinking, like, actually, we're comfortable. <laughs> this is really comfortable, you know? Then I feel bad. Like, is that bad that I feel comfortable? And it's not scolding us or the church because we're really blessed because really it beats the 10 years of setting up and tearing down chairs that we did at the school. I'm very thankful we're not there anymore. But then I thought about outside of physically speaking, what is it like to... Go to a church that maybe you have to climb to get to that church. Or you have to walk a long distance to get to that church. Or maybe because of things going on, and this is an actual church, or maybe because of the things going on in the situation around you, you have to have a home church or a hidden church because of your facing persecution. You can get in trouble with the law if you meet in an actual church. And I thought, boy, that's not comfortable for them. Feeling sort of pampered now. Maybe, maybe we have it really easy here in America. Maybe, uh, maybe we've got it too good here. And then I was reading on the Voice of, it's called the Voice of Martyrs website. Voice of Martyrs is basically an organization that goes out and tells us, here's what's going on all around the world in the life of those who have faith in Christ. There's the persecuted church out there. And see, we're so comfortable. We don't know what persecution really is in terms of other persecution. And in this website, they were talking about um, how people have been hurt and even murdered. I get the weekly email, and this one said, this is what's going on in Nigeria. Okay, Nigeria, 2021, August 25th, okay, just a couple weeks ago. 16 Christians were killed with machetes and guns, while an additional 17 were burned to death uh, from suspected militants who set their homes on fire. Here's these Christians at home, they were burned to death. Others, machetes, gunfire, taken out. Why? Because they believe in Jesus Christ, because they believe what you and I believe. We've got it comfortable, don't we, compared to that? Okay, bad news. Let me give you some good news. In that same email, it said this, but praise God, the number of believers in Iran from 20 years ago was about five, ten thousand 10,000 Christians. Now they're estimating that there are a million Christians in Iran. Isn't that good news? So it's, just, it's good to hear, but, you know, is it easy for those in Iran to give their faith to the Lord and live for the Lord? Not at all. Some of them have to do it secretly for fear of what may come of them. 
So I was thinking about, boy, our church is sort of comfortable. It's, it's sort of nice, you know, we can sort of come and go as we want. It really isn't a hard thing to get here, is it? But I thought about, but the church is more than just a building. The church is the body of believers. In your Bibles, you turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. In Matthew 16, um, and I'm, I'm going to be giving a lot of scripture this morning, so if you want to turn to each one, you go for it. I'm going to put some of it up on the screen. Um, but this is one verse I may reference a little bit more often than others. Jesus was looking at his disciples, and he looked at Peter, and he said, I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I just stopped and lingered on that verse one. I thought about this like, I'm going to build my church church. Now this is the first time the word in in the Greek word here for church is used in the New Testament. It's ekklesia. And it means basically more than what we think. Everybody's like, wait, isn't the church like in in Acts chapter two, when the church of Pentecost and it was like, oh, the church really started. But Jesus here, Matthew actually uses the word before that ever happened. It's a simple word. It means it's a group of people being called out. It's it's a body of people that are, are just coming out separately from where you are. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to, this group of people, I'm calling you out from the culture of the day. I'm calling you out from your surroundings of what you're a part of. I'm calling you out together as one body, one group, set apart from this, the rest of this world. And I love what Jesus said here. He said, I'll build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus brings these people. I will do this. I'll, disciples, I want to let you know. I will build this church. As much as we like to think we have uh, church planners and pastors and elders and leaders that build churches, it's Jesus who's doing the building. He says, I will build this church. And he says it belongs to him. He goes, this is my church. This isn't Pastor Rex's church. This isn't Pastor so-and-so's church. This, this is the church that, Jesus, that belongs to Jesus. And he says he builds it into a stronghold. He said the powers of hell can't conquer it. That's a promise, church. I want you to think about this. The forces of death and darkness cannot prevail against this church or any other church that belongs to Jesus. It's a valuable promise. I know because right now we're worried about the devil winning, aren't we? Sometimes you sort of look around the world and he's like, I think we're losing. Less people are coming to church. Less people are standing up for the faith. Sometimes the church people are arguing with each other. This world is just out of control. I think the devil's winning. Jesus said what? I will build my church and what? Hell will not conquer it. Jesus is winning. Even though maybe it feels or there's a sense of like we're losing, we're not. Jesus wants to build his church. He wants to use his people who are set apart to be victorious. The people of God. That's you and I. Those who repent and follow Jesus. It says in in Scripture, uh, Romans 4, 5 says this. But people us, are counted as righteous. To be righteous means to be right with God. That's a good way to look at it, okay? I'm right with God. You are righteous not because of your work, but because of the faith in God who forgives sinners. Church, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. It's right. You did not work for it. You're not a Christian because of anything you did or what your parents did or grandparents or anything like that. You have placed your faith in God, in his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, you are now right with God. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on a new nature. Created to be what? 
like God, righteous and holy. Next scripture, 1 Timothy 6.11, which is really going to be a theme verse that I'm going to hang on to. It's something that we've been dealing with throughout the year with FCA, and I just keep coming back to this verse. Paul's writing here to Timothy, he says, you're a man of God. Run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. We become right with God when we confess our sins to a holy God. And then he says, now I want you to live a righteous life full of faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. All believers, all believers, not just some of us, not just the ones who go to the Bible studies and get extra credit, okay? All of us are set apart, different from the world, You know why we're set apart from the world? Because we are now right with God. And now we have an obligation. We should have a desire within us to live a righteous life, to live differently than maybe we've been living before. But the question is, are we? Paul says, hey, Timothy, pursue it. Pursue it. Chase after it. Are we pursuing it and chasing after it? Jesus said, I don't think you are. Let me tell you a secret here. It says, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. He's like, we've got this flip. flip. Jesus always came in and said, you guys always got backwards. Okay? Greatest will be first, first will be last. Right? The greatest among you will serve. Oh, and by the way, when you seek God first, then all these things are added unto you. The way we do it, we seek title, we seek money, we seek power, we seek achievement, we seek pleasure, we seek love, we seek acceptance, we seek peace. Just you, you think about what, are you, what have you been seeking for this last week? Well, I've been striving after that, I've been chasing after this. Jesus says, seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. Then all these things will be added unto you. I really want peace in my life and I'm really chasing after it. You better have peace with God first so that you can then experience peace. Paul said, we are pursuing righteous living, righteous living, a godly life, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Are we doing that? Now, there's a couple great stories. A couple great stories. One's in Luke, and the other one is in Mark. First one in Luke chapter 19. You've heard this story before because you sang about this guy. His name is Zacchaeus. You know him, the wee little man and the wee little man was he, climbed up in that sycamore tree, right? That story, he was a tax collector. And here's the thing, if you're a Jewish person, you become a tax collector, you're working for the Romans, I'm collecting all your money, you're my brothers and sisters, you know, and we're the same same group, And but I'm working for the Romans now, so I'm taking your money, I'm going to pocket a little bit in my pocket, and then give the government what they wanted, okay? But here's the thing. I've become your enemy because you know that I'm cheating you. And I'm also the one who's taking your money to give to the Romans. So Zacchaeus was not very loved. And then top it off, he's a short guy. So Jesus is coming down. He knows about Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. He's, he wants to pursue Jesus. So here comes Jesus. But I can't see him because everybody's like, get out of here, Z. And they sort of push him back. Like, we don't like you. And, you know, and so what does he do? He climbs a tree. He gets uncomfortable. I'm going to do something nobody else has done before because I want to see Jesus, so I'm going to have to go out of my way and I might, might hurt myself, but I'm getting up in this tree and he gets up in the tree. And I love this. He was seeking first the kingdom of God. 
He's like, I'm seeking you out, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is walking along and he stops. He goes, Zacchaeus, I see you up there. Come on down. I'm going to your house today. See, here's the thing. When you seek first the kingdom of God, he sees it. He sees that you are pursuing him. And he comes into your life and says, I want to be a part of your house today. Who's coming over? Zacchaeus invites all over his, his tax buddies and, and other people, the notorious crowd. Everybody's looking like, you are letting those people come in. You're hanging out with them. She's like, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come here to hang out with a bunch of church people. You're already following me. So why am I hanging with you? There's more people to save. And Jesus was always doing this. And the beautiful thing about Zacchaeus was Zacchaeus is like, I'm different now. I've pursued Jesus. Jesus, I'm giving back people their money and I'm giving more. Meanwhile, in the book of Mark, there's another story about a rich young ruler. He came to Jesus like, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds like he's seeking Jesus and his kingdom, doesn't it? Jesus says, well, here's what you need to do. You need to follow all the commands. Remember the commands of Moses? Did you follow them? He's like, yep, check, check, check. I've not committed adultery. I've not committed murder. I've not done any of these things. I'm good to go. Awesome. Then Jesus says this. Now you need to take all your possessions and give them away to the poor. The rich young ruler was like, uncomfortable. Nope, not going to do it. Uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, give away what I own. Zacchaeus was like, I don't even own this. And some of it I do own. I'm giving it back. And I'm giving even more. The rich young ruler is like, I don't think I can do that. Two men, both were pursuing Jesus. But when Jesus saw him face to face, said, are you seeking me? Are you pursuing me? Here's what you got to do. One said, I'm all in. The other said, not today. Contrasting difference. The question is, which one is you? Which one of those represent you? So you can't pursue Jesus if you are fully pursuing other things. Some of us in here, we are pursuing all kinds of things in this world. Our pockets are so full of things that we're trying to possess. Our mind is so full of things we're trying to, to think about. Our hearts are so full of other things that we're pursuing after. There's no room for Jesus. And he's like, if you're not seeking me, you're not pursuing me. There is no peace. There's a lot of pain. What are you pursuing? Do you know how to get there? I sort of look at it like this. It's like a corn maze. All of us are familiar with the corn maze because we live out here in northwest Ohio, right? You've heard of the corn maze. Some of you have been in corn maze. Some of you will probably go to a corn maze this fall. Because when you imagine being in the middle of a corn maze, that you just get air dropped in and you're in there. Okay? It isn't walk in and work your way through and come back out. That's easy. Because some of you leave breadcrumbs. You figure this out, right? You get dropped in the middle of the corn maze. It's dark and it's not simple. I can see through the rows and see a path. Let's say it's thick corn and, and it's tall and it's dark and you're walking through trying to figure your way out of this maze and you're thinking, I don't know if I can figure my way out. And you are losing the battle of getting out. And you're like, I'm, I came to a dead end. That's sort of what happens in life. When I pursue achievement, money, pleasure. It's always the dead-end pursuit. It always ends wrong. Wouldn't it be nice if we just had a voice from up above just saying, go right. Thanks, God. Go left. Thank you, Lord. Because that's what we want, right? 16 years ago when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, I was like, God, I have no idea what to do. Can you just tell me what to do? And it's like, he said, here's a map. Here's a compass. Go that direction. But which path, God? Which path am I? I, mean, I know I'm supposed to go this direction, but what path? It helps so much. But sometimes God doesn't always necessarily give you every single detail, but he gives you enough 
to know which direction to go. That's what we need when we're pursuing him. All things fade away. Listen, we, are, we come into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. That's the way it works. So everything that we're trying to accumulate right now and build up for ourselves, I get a name for myself, I get possessions for myself, it don't matter. Because in the end, you don't take it with you. You know what you take with you when you die? Your relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, then guess what? You will not see God. That's the way it works. You got a relationship with God, you're going to take that relationship with God with you. And whatever you've built on it, that's what you take with you when you leave this place. Jesus said this, he goes, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm the way. You want to know how to live in this life? You want to know the way to go in this life? You want to know the truth about this life? It's all in Jesus. Are you pursuing him? Are you pursuing that, that, that life-saving relationship? When we discover who Jesus is, we discover truth. We discover new life. We are free from the pressure to perform. We are free from guilt. We are free from shame. We are free from eternal destruction. When we pursue Jesus, we are freed from that. So the question is, church, are we pursuing Jesus? Are we pursuing this righteous life? Either you are or you're not, okay? Because I really believe a lot of times we're like... We're like an athletic competition. Either you're on the field, on the mat, on the track, in the pool, or in the stands. You're in one of these two places. You're, you're either exerting yourself and sweating and competing and working, or you are just being entertained and cheering. We're, we're in one of those two places. The question is, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you consuming? Just sitting there? You guys go. Awesome. Good work. Or are you exerting? Are you pursuing him? My, my encouragement to all of us today is, is to get in the game. It is to get involved, to get engaged, to pursue Jesus Christ. And here's where it begins. It begins with prayer. If you've never done this, man, this would be a great day to do this. Okay? It begins with prayer. The, the first pursuit is to get yourself in the right position with God. Romans 10 Verses 9 and 10 says this, if we confess with our mouths or if we openly declare, I think that's huge, by the way. I grew up memorizing a different version. It's like if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ, the Lord will be saved. Different uh, translations. If you openly declare. See, a lot of us are saying, I'm a Christian, but not one of us will raise our hand or stand up and openly declare it. We sort of keep our faith to ourselves. It's personal. My faith is personal. It's not personal at all. Christ died on the cross Practically naked, in front of everybody. You think that was personal? He did it for you and I. It was very public. Everybody saw it. What he did for us, everybody knows. What we do for him, everybody should know. We openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. What does Paul say? We'll be saved. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If so... Confess it to him out loud. Pray it out loud to him. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and by openly declaring that your faith, you are saved. So the best way to start your initial pursuit with Jesus, to pursue him, is to make sure you're right with God. You get it right with God in here first so you can get it right with him out here. 
In your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. It's toward the end of the New Testament. This is just another verse I just want to point out real quick because after you pray in your pursuit, now you need to read. Now you need to read the truth. It says, so the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Church, listen, God's word is alive. We understand what alive means and dead means. We understand what weak means and what powerful means. So when we read the Bible and it says God's word is alive and powerful, we sort of get a clue as to what that's all about, right? But then it goes on to say it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Not many of us carry swords around anymore. Just sort of the way the world works, right? So we're not really maybe understanding what a two-edged sword. I've seen a one-edged sword, like a pirate buccaneer, you know. But then a two-edged sword, what's that? What is that like? You know, here's the thing. In, in studying this word and the meaning behind it and the culturally, we know this. The word of God, Paul, Paul says this in the book of Ephesians, that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. God's word is like a sword. And then we read here, it says that the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. What does that mean? It's sort of like this, sort of picture like this. One side of the sword is the word of God itself coming out of the mouth of God. And he gives us his word. It's sort of like this. You're praying and it's like, God, I'm going through a situation right now and I'm not sure. Lord. And all of a sudden, it's like God's word just sort of comes to your mind that you've been reading. And maybe you're reading that morning and all of a sudden it just sort of jumps out at you. God's word is speaking to you. It's like, a, it's like the sharp edge of a sword. It just cuts into you and says, this is truth. This is what you need to hear. Now here's the second side of the sword. The second side of the sword then is when I take that word and now I take it and I share it with you. For those of you who are memorizing scripture, you understand what a double-edged sword is. You are taking God's word in and then you are sharing God's word with other people. And you are speaking it not to hurt people, but to help people. It's an amazing thing when you sort of look at this, the sword, and as, and, and as you pursue God's word, his, his truth, his word, we're doing it not just to like, hey, look what I'm learning. We do it more than just, I memorize stuff. We do it more than just, I'm getting smarter than you. We do it more than like, I learned some really cool facts about the Bible. That's not why we, we were just in God's word alone. We're in God's word because it transforms us cuts between the joint and marrow and changes us from the inside out. We, we get into God's word for multiple reasons. In, in the book of Psalm, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. Now listen, this is what happens. When we meditate on God's word, when we're in God's word, it says, We're like trees planted along the riverbed, bearing fruit each season. The leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. See, as we read God's word, it fills us. It changes us. We, 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 as we abide in Christ, there is fruit, right? This is what we're talking about. When we read God's word, it's healing it's cleansing for our souls. In the book of Psalm 119, verse 11, it says this, Your word have I hid in my heart so that I won't sin against you. God's word helps us in the fight against temptation and sin. God's word is a counselor. It's, it's a rich source in giving us direction and guidance for our life. It gives us peace when we need it. How many times have you been in a situation, somebody sends you a Bible verse, and you're like, Man, I needed to hear that. That's because God's word is peace. Jesus himself, John chapter 1 says, I am the word. Right? The word is God. His eternal person 
His eternal person is described as word. It's our source of spiritual growth, church. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says this, Like a newborn baby, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for nourishment. As Christians, we're like infants, and we need to feed on God's word for nourishment. You want to know why there's so many complaining, whining Christians around here? Because they're not getting fed. That's my opinion. Because that's what happens when the baby, you have a baby, you don't feed it, what's it going to do? It starts crying, right? Oh, that baby needs something to eat. Absolutely. You know why a lot of Christians cry and whine? Because we're not being fed. We need to be in God's word. We need to soak up and, and, and swallow. Not just like, just a little bit here. We need to feast on it. The Bible is, like I said, it's just not a bunch of collection of great stories and myths. And, and here's the thing. The preacher, me, the pastor, doesn't make the Bible come alive. Man, what you said today, man, that was incredible. It's not me. It's God's word. I appreciate that. Thank you for those words of encouragement. I've had people come up to me and say, I think you were preaching to me today. I think what you had to say was to me today. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's God at work. See, that's how God works. You sit there and you think, Rex, what you said today, or, or, or Dave, Paul, whoever would be up front, and they say something like, man, what you said, that was incredible. That's how God works through his spirit, speaking his word. His word is alive. My words are dead. My stories are just stories, but God's word is alive. To pursue a righteous life, we pray the truth. We, we read the truth. And here's the final thing we do. We, we, we reach for truth. We, we, we train. In another scripture here, 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8, and it's the last one. It says this, don't waste time arguing over wise old wives' tales and these godless ideas. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is so much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. I realize this. It takes hard work to stay in good physical shape. Not a lot of us can be like Brandon, working out all the time, okay? We're just not as, as strong as, as, as he is, okay? Some of us, some of us, I mean, like, you get to a certain age, and you're like, man, I used to be able to eat this way, and, and, and I could you know, just breathe and work it off. Now it's like, I've got to work twice as hard to work off half of what I normally eat, right? And some of us getting older, you wake up and you're hurt. You're like, you you get out of bed like, what did I do? I think I pulled something. Was that my dream? I really need to stretch out my dreams because I don't like getting hurt in my dreams. And now it hurts now and I'm awake. You sort of get to that age, right? So we learn, you know what? I better be stretching. I better be sort of physically keeping myself in shape. It just makes sense, right? Spiritually speaking, it's the same way. This word here that, uh, that Paul uses, he says the word, uh, he says to train, it means to exercise. It means, it's gymnazo, it's the Greek word where we get our word gymnasium derived that from. Three sports in the gymnasium, boxing, pancreation, and wrestling back in that day. They didn't have basketball, didn't have volleyball, those weren't in the gymnasium, okay? But in the gymnasium, they had those three sports. Those three sports was like ultimate championship fighting. Anything goes. You want to bite off the ear? I don't care, Mike Tyson, if you did. These guys did it all the time. Poked eyes out, broke ribs. Here's the thing. Winner moves on. Loser usually got buried six feet under. See, today we lose a, a, a thing of competition, and what happens? That's okay, we got a game tomorrow. Hey, we got a game next Friday. That's all right. Hang in there. No, back then, if you lost, you probably died. 
That's the way it was. There was no, like in your schools, all those pictures of those Hall of Famer athletes, like, okay, no. If they did, they were missing an eye, they had a broken nose, they had a deformed ear, uh, and then there's a picture of their plot where they were buried, okay? Because if you lose, you're done. So when Paul uses this word, he says, train, you know what he's putting in the mind of all of us? If you don't work hard, you don't train hard, you'll lose. You know what losing means? Death. So how hard are you training? So that's the picture he puts into the minds of all of his readers. And now he's saying, spiritually speaking, how hard are you training? Because when you lose spiritually, the devil's taking you out. It's like, whoa, okay, Paul. Now I'm taking, uh, taking a little bit more understanding of what you're meaning here by all this, this training. And so what do I got to do? Well, if it's going to be 90 degrees outside, you better go train in 100-degree weather. Oh, and by the way, if you're going to get beat up by somebody, you better train with two guys beating you up for the one guy you're going to face. Because you better be prepared for what you're going to face. Spiritually speaking, do we do that when we pursue Jesus? Or do we just get comfortable? Do we just get comfortable? So just as our physical muscles must be trained, our spiritual muscles must be trained as well. And, and I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Let God help you on this. Yeah. Two, two stories come to my mind when I was thinking about this. I'll close on these stories. Worship team, why don't you come on up, please. For the first one was um, Ray Caldwell. Probably you don't, you don't know who Ray Caldwell was. It's because he was a pitcher, baseball pitcher, back in 1919. He was on the mound pitching. And as he was pitching, he it was in the eighth, I'm sorry, the ninth inning. He had pitched eight and two-third innings. He had one more out. As he was pitching, lightning struck. Now, here's the thing. Today... Base, we don't need to play baseball. If there's a lightning strike 20 miles away, the sirens go off. like, eh, everybody off. There's a, there's a lightning strike 20 miles away. So we can't play ball? Nope. Okay. He got struck by lightning. Ray Caldwell was on the mound as he, he pitched. He got struck by lightning. He was put down. They finally got him to come to. They got him conscious. He looked around. He says, where's the ball? Like, what do you mean, where's the ball? I've got one more out to get. He wanted to pitch a complete game. He did. Picked up the ball, finished the game. He got struck by lightning. Today we're like, I gotta hang on, I can't play sports. Okay? I'm thinking, this dude was all in, right? And the people around him are like, wow, that's tough. So, like, I'm thinking spiritually. Spiritually. Just because we get knocked down, we think, well, I can't do this for Jesus anymore. Really? Get back up. Yesterday in a a game, uh, Notre Dame was playing Toledo. And they were losing, and their quarterback in their, one of their last final drives uh, was a final drive, was a drive before that. But he is out on the field. It's like we're losing, and he comes running off the field, and his finger was pointing in the wrong direction. He dislocated his finger. Goes over to the trainer, and the trainer's like, "Come here." And then he just goes running back out in the field and wins the game. Are you kidding me? I'm, I would be on, I would be on the ground. Like, Take me to the hospital, you know, whatever. You know, because that's what we do, right? But this here's the thing. If you want to win, you want to win, let the coach pick you up. Let him put you back in your place. And get back out there and be victorious. That's what happens when you pursue, when you pursue him. I began with a question, and that is, have we become too comfortable in our relationship with God? Are we pursuing a righteous life? First, get things right with God. Pursue him in prayer. Pursue him in truth. Don't just read just to read. Let God's word transform you from the inside out. And then third, 
pursue them in how you train. Reach out for the truth. Strive, strain, do the best you can to be victorious in how you live. And I'm going to tell you something, church, listen, you are going to get knocked down. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are going to get knocked down. You will have your, your feelings hurt. You will have somebody say something about you that's going to bother you. You'll have people make fun of you because of where you stand. It's going to happen. Get back up. Keep pursuing Christ. Let the God of this universe walk with you as you do this. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you, Lord, for this this body of believers that they have openly declared with their mouth and confess that they love you, that they want you to be their Savior and Lord. And if, if there's somebody in this room that hasn't, now's a good time to pray that prayer. God, as we pursue you and getting things right with you, we want to live that out. Help us, Lord, to be diligent in reading your word and, and meditating on your word and let it, let it transform us from the inside out. And then, God, help us to train spiritually to strive and to strain to move forward in our relationship with you, to get back up when we get knocked down. It's not easy. But God, your son, Jesus, promises, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not conquer it. That's your promise. This is your church. This is your church. And you've designed us, created us to be victorious through your name. So we proclaim that, Lord, victory in you. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.